Hey, what's up, everybody? We are so excited to announce that Zootown Podcast is back in business. We're running with season two uh, in the next few months, and we're going to be releasing some podcasts with uh, our staff discussing topics, but also some guests that we'll be interviewing. Um, and so thank you so much for supporting this, and thank you so much for just listening to what we have to say. And we're just looking forward to a deeper conversation. Love you guys. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us today on the Zootown podcast. We got Ty and Susanna with us, and normally we kind of do a little recap and introduction, but this one's just going to speak for itself. Uh, we are with Jamie Winship today, who runs Identity Exchange, just an incredible story of how we got into it, and uh, this is a game changer for us, and I, I know it's going to be a game changer for you. Um, so this might be one, again, you have to listen to a couple times because there's just so much to it, but... Um, this just breaks down so many walls, not only in our faith and the evangelical community, but just even the world of what's going on right now. So um, thanks for joining us. So Jamie Winship, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, yeah, so we already kind of gave an intro uh, before you got on to, to who you are as Identity Exchange and all that. Um but first, just I know a lot of our audience hasn't really heard the other podcasts or heard of your ministry. Just let us know a little bit about um, your background and how you got into the identity exchange that you are in now. Yeah, so um, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm from the East Coast, grew up in Washington, D.C., and age 14, um, had this sort of experience uh, watching a movie and decided I wanted to be a police officer. And uh, in the course of watching the movie, I, I, I wasn't a believer, um, but I knew that whatever was happening inside of me, even in eighth grade, was something other than myself. And I knew that it was, um, whatever it was, was, was I calling an identity out of me or naming me as what I, how I say it now. It was calling my name. So I responded to this movie in this movie theater very dramatically. The movie was Serpico. It's true about a New York City police officer. And I went forward at the movie theater just because I knew I needed to take some kind of action of commitment. And uh, because I was raised independent Baptist, you had to go forward for yeah, anything. It's like an altar call in a movie. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went forward in this theater and um, I, no, I've never changed my mind from that day. That was like one of the biggest defining experiences of my life. And what was interesting is I didn't attribute it to God in any way. I, in fact, I felt the opposite. I, I didn't know what it was. However, um, and so that in that day in eighth grade, I, I gained a sense of identity. I wouldn't have called it that. I didn't know what to call it. But it was so powerful that I started living my life according to my future. So I was making present tense decisions based on where I thought I would be in the future, which was different than my friends. They were much more in the moment. And uh, and so when they would ask me, like, you know, hey, let's go do this or some criminal activity, I would just say I, I would know in my mind I'm going to be on a polygraph one day when I'm 21. <laughs> so this is going to show up on that polygraph. So it's not worth it to me to get rid of my future based on this event. So I just started living that way. And um then when I was 17, uh, a nurse, I was in the hospital and uh, this amazing physical therapist started talking to me about Jesus. And I really 
at the time didn't does the last thing I wanted to hear about. And uh, I was in a wrestling accident and I didn't think I could pass a police physical. I didn't think I'd be able to get in the police department because of the injury. So I was very bitter and angry. He uh, would talk to me about, about Jesus, but not like anything I'd ever heard in church before. She's very different. And uh, I don't know her name. I wish I, I've looked for her many years to try and locate her, and I've never been able to find her. But um, all I know is she is a, a single mom who went through nursing school at night, and she was from West Virginia. That's all I know about her. And she kept talking to me about how um, my enemy wasn't my body or circumstances. My enemy was my bitterness. I never had anyone talk to me like that. And she said, that's what's going to hurt you. And, um, and Jesus is the only one that can walk you through the bitterness. And I would cuss her out. I was so mad. I, and every day I would cuss her out and she would go to the, I mean, I would, wouldn't, didn't want to listen to her at all. And she would walk to the door of my room and she'd look at me and she'd go, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And she would come back <laughs> the next day like she had never met me and just start over. Filled with all this enthusiasm. She was 27. I remember that. Filled with all this enthusiasm like we had first met. And I'm like, do you remember what I called you yesterday? Don't you know? And she would just start again. You know, you know what's going to hurt you is your bitterness. And Jesus, five days she did this. Just kept coming back. I would cuss her out. She'd try and talk. I'd yell at her. She'd leave, come back the next day. And I realized, like, day three, that I was going to lose this. (laughs) And because I was throwing everything I thought powerful at her that I had, and she it didn't affect her at all. She And I realized she's more powerful than I am. Her love, her concern for me is greater than my hostility towards her. And I never see. So what was cool was in eighth grade and then in 12th grade, no one was teaching me anything. They were modeling something I'd never seen before. I grew up in the church. I know all the talks. I'd never seen that done. And I would would lay there and go, I don't have any more. I'm running out of hostility with this woman. (laughs) And she's coming back with brand new love every day. Um, and so that really moved me. And so when I was, uh, I mean, I never responded to her in any way, as far as she knows, that was a waste of five days of her life. Although I'm pretty sure she knew what she was doing. Yeah. She's, but she's I, like, I've seen this before. I never, <laughs> I never told her I thought she was right. I hated it. And when I left the hospital, I, pr- I actually prayed <laughs> and I said to God, can I be a police officer? Like she's a nurse, like that's I want to do that vocation like she does her vocation because there was lots of great um, hospital personnel there, but she was more than a nurse. She was a healer. She wasn't trying to just be a good nurse. She was trying to actually heal me. And I thought, wow, if I could be, if I could go on a 911 call with that kind of power, that would be amazing. I didn't even know what to call it. I just want, she was my example. I want to be a police officer like she's a nurse. Um, that's how I prayed. And that's what that's what made me want to be a believer was her. Because I wanted to be like that. Wow. Uh, deeper than words, stronger than hatred. And so, um, yeah, then I went to college and um, uh, got into crusade. The crusade guys, I went to a you know state school. The crusade guys, I met them. And one of them ended up being on my squad in the PD later on. But... And I love those guys, and they were the same way. They just were different. They just lived it out. And um, so they discipled me, and then I met my wife 
in my second year there who's Jewish. And that was a whole nother thing about identity. I'd never met a Jewish person before. She wasn't a believer. I did the first four of the four laws with her and she cussed me out. And I'm like, ah, I, hey, here we go. I'm in role reversal now. <laughs> and I get to keep coming back with love. And um, but she, I, I learned from her, her that her identity was more important to her than truth which I had never seen that before. Her identity was more important to her than what was true, more valuable to her. And she was willing to die knowing something was true that she couldn't have because it violated her identity. I, that was quite the challenge for me because I thought if you just present enough truth, they'll get it and walk away and yeah. go, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But um, so then she came to faith like our junior year and that was awesome. And, then graduated, went into the police academy, went through the police academy, came out, we got married, and then started this career in the police department. And uh, spent five years in just probably the most amazing discipleship program I'd ever been in in my life. Uh, with a field training officer that was a heavy duty drinker, cusser, and the best discipler I've ever met, probably to this day. Had no concept of Jesus at all. Um, but he knew how to disciple. And so spent a year with him telling me every shift that I was never going to make it. He would tell me at the end of every shift, you're not going to make it. So why, don't even come tomorrow. You're not going to make it. And then um, I would go through the day and I would come home and tell my wife, I'm not going to make it. And then after a year of that, I was with him. And he, one day he looks at me and he goes, well, you made it. I was wrong. And he loose. <laughs> and uh, I started it on my own, you know, my own. Uh, with my partner and just started experimenting like how can i be a cop like she was a nurse now i'm 23 and i'm still remembering the five days i spent with this nurse as the main evangelism style that i how can i do that and in the police department you're not allowed to share your faith it's an immediate termination of your position with no review you get one complaint you're out on that they complain about that so my question to God was, I want to share my faith every day, but I don't want to get fired. So is there a way to share my faith that I don't not only don't get fired, but I actually get promoted? Is that possible? Is that not possible? I don't know. And I don't know where to learn that. There's nowhere to go learn how to be a police officer that shares their faith. And get. And I just so I uh, I would just on calls and I started asking God do you can you communicate to me how to talk to this person right now in a way that'll impact that person but won't get my sergeant in trouble like, but I, I there's no book on this yeah so it's like you have to be able to like communicate and it has to be different all the time is that possible is that is that is that gone you know with the prophets or something and uh, and it can't be goofy. It has to work. And so I just started experimenting, and I would have these ideas that I would pray, and I would have an idea, and I would try the idea, and it would like work. Small, just little things. And then I would go out further and risk a little bit more, and started to make really big cases, just as a uniform officer. And then um, my partner, who disagreed with what I was doing, um, he started to benefit from it, even though I. I made sure that if it ever didn't work, he would not be implicated. But then he would start telling me in cases, he would go, do that thing you do, do it, do it. <laughs> um, 
and and that's how he learned. He um, was just watching what happened. And then five years of that, I loved it. I was happy. I, would, I could have done that the rest of my life. I loved my job. I loved, I got promoted. I was officer of the year. I made detective, all of it. And, um, and uh, you know, made mistakes as well. And then in my fifth year, I get a call and I go to meet these guys and they're recruiters for the CIA. And they want to know how I'm doing what I'm doing. They ask me, they have all my cases for five years. And they asked me, how are you doing this? What are you doing? Can you explain how you're going from here to here in these cases? And they're reading the narrative of the cases. They're going through court and they're like, how did you know how to say that? Why did you do this? Why did you de-arrest this guy and let him go? And then it turns out he's your best guy a year later. Like, how did you know how to do all that? And I, tr- I said to the, I told him right off, I said, we were in a bar in D.C. And I said, you're not going to like how I do it. I, I can explain it, but you're going to hate it. And he said, well, it works, so I just want to hear it. So I said, well, you know, I took this guy, this gang guy, instead of arresting him, I took him to my house. He spent the weekend at our house with me and my wife, met Jesus, put him back in as the gang leader, and he changed the whole gang. And uh, and here's the results of it. And, you saw, you know, there's the fruit. And the guy, the operations guy says, yeah, I don't believe in any of that stuff, but here's the result of it. I see what it did work. And then we just went through case after case. And so Jesus said, by your fruit, they'll know you not by your talk, by the result of what happens in your life, which is my experience with the nurse and, and uh, the people in my life that impacted me, they weren't talkers. They just could do it. They just modeled it. So uh, they asked, they gave me a scenario that they were working in the, in the world and it was a case CIA was involved in that had gone bad on them and they didn't know what to do to fix it. It's very similar to Seattle right now. Uh, So you have a lot of experts in a scenario and what they're doing doesn't work. So if the experts, what they're doing doesn't work, where do they go to find the answer when they're the experts? Yeah. And this is, this is the time for the believer to step up. Um, and so uh, they said, what would you do in this scenario? And I just did what I all the time. I just said, wait a second. Let me just think about it. And I just asked the Lord, like, what's a good idea of what to do in this scenario? He's just asking for wisdom is what I was doing. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. And God's not like God says, maybe I'll give it to you. He's like, I'll give it to you so freely, but don't ask me and not do it. If you ask me and don't do it, we're done that conversation. But if you ask me and you want to do it, I'll tell you every time what to do. But it's going to cost you. It's risky and all that. And so I, I just asked him, and, you know, I have the mind of Christ. It's not like – and I have the spirit of the living God. And he, I just thought of how I would work the scenario. And I said, well, I would do this, and I would do this, this, and this. And the guy goes, you're hired. Here's the job. You have, you have it. And so Tuesday night I'm a detective in a police department. Wednesday I'm a – you know, full-blown operative for the CIA. I mean, it's, that's how fast. Boom. Do <laughs> you want to make this complicated? It's very simple. You follow me. You seek first the kingdom. You humble yourself. I'll lift you up. I'll give you opportunity. But you train every day. You train. You practice. You work. You learn to listen. You learn to, you know, how do the people in the Bible do it? What did Jesus say? All that kind of stuff. You train. And then when the opportunity is there, step into it. And so... They offered me a position. Um, they laid out the, the mission that they wanted me to be involved in. And I said to them, 
I'm, I want to do this because I think God is inviting me into this thing, but I can't do it contractually with you guys because when I go into the scenario, people in the scenario, what's going to change it is they're going to, they're going to be transformed by Jesus. That's what's going to make this work and counter this. But if the guys that are transformed by Jesus find out later that I'm employed by you, it'll hurt the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. It'll be like the demons proclaiming Christ. He didn't understand that. but <laughs> He didn't know you were calling him a demon. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, uh, so I said, I want to do it. I want to, I want the challenge because it's a missional call to me. I, what I don't want is to work for you, but I will do what you want done, but I don't want, I can't receive any money from you or any. And so the guy said, you're kidding. You're going to do this, but you're not going to let us compensate you. And I said, that's exactly right. And so they, they were like, okay. And so I built the scenario. It took three years to put the scenario in place. I had to go to grad school. I had to do a lot of stuff to build the right scenario. And then, um, and then we went in and worked it and it worked and we stayed there 10 years in that region. And then we, and, you know, of course developed quite a reputation for ourselves. And then we started moving around the world doing it. And, um, you know, same thing. We made lots of mistakes. I got arrested pretty fast in the first scenario and put on trial in an Islamic court, 10 years in prison for my mistake was the penalty. Um, I went into, I went on trial and I was exonerated by a Muslim guy, but, um, all that was the Lord teaching me. And this is the lesson I, I, in the meetings I've been in here in Seattle is one of the great lies that people believe. One of the deep lies that people believe is that they're powerless, that they're powerless. And, um, and so, and you can watch Jesus doing this with the disciples and with other people. There's certain base lies that just have to go away right at the beginning. One is that you have to have money to be successful. That's got to go. And Jesus said it. Let me. Jesus is like, this is how strong I'm going to say this to you. You cannot serve me and money. You cannot serve me and money. And I'm telling you, Christian business people in the United States, the United States think you can. They're convinced you can. And they've made models on how God shows his favor in us by giving us success in business. Like that is a, that's one thing that's really hurting us is that false belief. Uh, The other is that you're powerless and alone. That's another big lie. So so to, to understand the reality of that, you can't read a book on it. The Lord's like, I'm going to invite you into a place where you're going to think you're absolutely powerless by everything you can see so that we can get over this lie. Because <laughs> you're not. Are you willing to go with me into this? We always think of it as God inviting us into things. Are you inviting, uh, are you willing to walk down this road with me and I will take away this fear from you forever? And so the answer to that is yes. Not my will, your will. But it's not just we're spiritual. It's because I want to not be afraid of that stuff ever. So that's kind of selfish in one way i i don't want to be lay in bed at night thinking about money yeah i don't want to lay in bed at night thinking about how, how all the ways i want to have to protect my life and the life of my kids and uh, am i in the right neighborhood and are they in the right all those lies that consume us um and the lord's just 
He says it all the time. His answer to every challenge of everyone that ever questions him in scripture, his answer is always, yeah, but I'm going to be with you. Like, that's his answer. That's not the answer we want. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, we want to see some money or something. But he's just like, I'm with, do you not know that I'm going to be with you in this? Do you not understand that? I'm Emmanuel. Do you not know that? Why are you asking me this? I'm going to be with you. And yeah, it's a place where you look at him and go, that's not enough for me. Like, you have to get to that place and look right in the face and go, that doesn't do it for me. I need more than that. And that, and that's when you get, that's true confession. That's real confession. It's not saying you're sorry for stuff, but telling God the truth about what you really believe about God, about yourself, about other people. And, um, and so his, the journey with him is him walking you, as David says, uh, into the valley of shadow of death. It's really a beautiful progression. And in Psalm 23, you start out laying beside the still waters and the green pasture. That's the, that's the first meeting with Jesus where he's walking you into your true self. Like, calm down. You don't need anything else. It's me and you. We got it. We don't need anything else. Calm down. Relax. Take it easy. And then when you understand that identity, he's like, you ready now? You ready? Yeah. Where are we going to go? Into the valley of the shadow of death. That's where we're going. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> And we think the Christian life is learning how to get stay in the green pasture with financial prosperity and all that stuff. And, you know, and he's like, oh, no, that anyone can do that part. I want to walk you through your deepest fear. And you realize that you're not your comfort. I am your comfort. My rod and my staff, that's your comfort, not you. Because if you're going to be your own comfort, you're always going to be afraid. Yeah. You'll never not be afraid because <laughs> it'll all be on you. You'll have to self-protect and self-promote. And so then he leads you to the valley of the shadow of death. Where is he leading you to? To your enemies. That's the greatest victory of Psalm 23 is look where we made it to. That table with our enemies. That's the highest level right there is what Jesus is leading us to. And, um, and then you find out, how can I sit down and celebrate with these guys? Because they aren't your enemy. That's how. That's the big lie. They're not your enemy. You have one enemy. Satan. That's your enemy. So that was, that's been our journey. I love Psalm 23 and then John 10 when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what do you do? I come into the fold and I take you out. I take you out of the fold. Not in. We don't stay in the fold. We go out of the fold. To where? To the, to the lost world. <laughs> like yeah. that's where we go. To the worst places. Because we're the light. So that was our, so starting out on that first assignment was into the darkness of being all alone, isolated on a little island, going to prison for 10 years with no recourse, and watching God completely flip the situation in 24 hours with no help from any Christian anywhere in the world. Wow. Muslim. Who turned out to be a guy I sat at the table with and we feasted together. But I had to go through the valley of the shadow of death before I would ever sit down with that guy. And I learned a valuable lesson in those years. And then every time we got through it, we were like, wow, we like it worked. And, you know, and it was this. And then we would say, Lord, thank you. And then you go, you ready? Because that was just level one. Let's go to level two. And he's, it's never ending. And every time he takes you deeper and deeper and further and further into fearlessness fearlessness yeah. um, 
And it's a beautiful journey. I, I When I share Christ with people, I'm not, I'm sharing with them. You guys, you can be in the most incredible journey you've ever, you'll never even dream of this journey because you'll be too afraid to dream it. <laughs> but it's incredible. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess one of the things I'll say of that is the other lie you have to worry about it is, is that you can die. Like we are so convinced we can die. We're so terrified. Christians are the worst. They're the most <laughs> terrified of dying. <laughs> and uh, I know terrorists that are less afraid of dying than born-again believers who are certain they're going to heaven. <laughs> yeah. um, but they live their whole life protecting themselves. Yeah. Their whole life is committed to protecting themselves. You know what I'm saying? This about, I had to learn this too. Um, but Jesus keeps looking at us going, Why? you can't die. Like he keeps saying that to us. You can't die. And so instead of, you know, defining life by death, which is what we do, you define death by life. Death is just a piece of life. We, we think death is the all-consuming thing and life is all surrounded by all this death. That's, that's what the nurse taught me. Her love surrounds all of my fear. It's, it, it's the love is all-encompassing and all-powerful. The fear is a little dark angry little temper tantrum in the middle of this amazing love. And once you understand that, why would you, why would you look at Jesus and go, I'm not walking with you. I'm not, I'm not going with you. Why? Because I might die. That's what we keep saying. Yeah, I might fail true. there. I might lose my reputation. So once you kind of walk past that, I mean, it's con and we have to constantly practice. <laughs> Trust me. It's a constant, it's, it's, it's praying without ceasing, but it's, I, I, I was just with guys that aren't believers and they're well known here. And this is what I talked about the whole time with them is like, the reason we're not going to win here in this scenario is because we're afraid to die. What um, is one way we can practice? How do you practice mm -hmm. that? Yeah. 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 Uh, so um, I think, so that's what the, in the scriptures. There's these beautiful, I mean, I have this little, um, Thing here this is this is my little uh you probably can't see that but this is my sheet of how to save a city that's burning itself down <laughs> so all, all the page right off this piece of paper <laughs> that's not relevant at yeah, all yeah. You're, in, you're in seattle right <laughs> um so so like just you know i jesus is our model of course people can't do what they've never seen people can't do what they've never seen so that's why jesus is so important whether the people i, I was saying it today to these guys whether you think Jesus is divine or whatever, he's the only example we have of a human that's lived an unconflicted life. He's the only example we have. There's no other one. Buddha, none of them. Gandhi and them, they got, Jesus was their model. <laughs> like, that, he was their model. So, so there's the model of Jesus. So what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? He's human. He wrestles through things. And so I think... He, he has a couple of processes that he enacts. He does it with the disciples and everyone else. But one of them is the Beatitudes. So this is Matthew 5 through 7. That's what it is. That's how to save a city. Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. And it's the Beatitudes. You know, if you're an Eastern teacher, Jesus wasn't a pastor, a Western pastor. He's an Eastern uh, master teacher. And so when he teaches, he teaches in progressions. So if you look at the Beatitudes as a progression of life, like Psalm 23 is a progression, the bottom of the progression is 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the empty ones. This is all gone, emptied out. Like Jesus in Philippians 2 is emptying himself and, become, and emptying himself of this in order to come down and be what God has asked him to be. And so the Beatitudes is his progression for humans is how do I get to a life where I'm beyond persecution? You don't pray for it. You don't, you have to, you have to experientially move into it over time. How do you start? Self-emptying. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the person who's emptied of themselves and their own kingdom. Because that person is able to receive all that the kingdom of God is for you and for me. So the, the, the walk of the believer is the life of receiving, right? The way to the kingdom is by receiving. The way to stay in the kingdom is by receiving. So Jesus says, I didn't come, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. We don't let him serve us. We won't, we're like, we Jesus wants to wash our feet, invite us into stuff, and we're like, oh no, 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 no. So we have to self-empty. Every day I pray, God, before this meeting, is there anything in my life that's gonna prevent me from receiving all you want to do in this meeting right now? Is my reputation is any of that self-protection self-promotion it needs to all be out of the way in order that i can receive all that you have for me that you want to serve me with in this meeting it's really hard for us um so then so it's a progression blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those that are empty of themselves for you that take the whole kingdom it's yours receive it step two when you're empty of yourself blessed are those who mourn the Lord says to me, Jamie, are you sad for the things that I want you to be sad for? Or are you sad for something else? Are you mourning for the things? Not that I want Mother Teresa to mourn for, that I want you in your unique identity. I want you to mourn for certain things. I want I want you to cry over the certain things. Are you? Do you know what those things are? Because if you know what they are, I will meet you there and comfort you there. But if you're mourning about this over here and this over here, I, I'm not going to comfort you there. That's not, I'll comfort you in this for you, this thing for you. And so empty yourself. Okay, Lord, am I lamenting for the things that you made Jamie lament for today? Because that's where you're going to meet me with comfort. So I'm lamenting. I'm empty. I'm lamenting. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I'm lamenting. That means all of my passions are all directed towards this lament. They're all aimed at it. Lord, is there any passion that's over here, over there, corralled in, in meekness, aimed in the right direction? Yours is the whole earth. You can inherit the earth. Nothing on the earth will stop you. Yeah. If you are empty of yourself, lamenting for the thing I made you to lament for, and all of your passions are directed in that way, it's all yours. Take it. Walk in the gates of hell aren't going to stop you. But we have to know what those things, what that is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be right as they ought in that. And it just goes up like that. Blessed are the merciful so that, you, that you're always in this open flow. Blessed are the pure in heart. Focus. I only, I know my identity. I know what I do. I know what to mourn for. You will always see God. Always, you'll always see him right where he is in it. Get off that. You won't see him. Peacemaker. And then, then let him persecute you in that. It'll never, it won't even slow you down. Blessed are the persecuted for theirs. It's like a circle. So every day living in that progression. 
Am I empty? Am I mourning for the right things? Am I, you know, like that, like that? And then he just goes into it. And this is the, this is where it gets, he says, okay, now when you've done all that, okay, now when you go to pray, pray in the closet. When you go to do all this, do not seek the approval of people. Don't do it. You can do it. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's all you'll ever get is just the approval of people. Big deal. They all think you're amazing and nothing has happened. Yeah, you have 10 zillion viewers and, and all that. Nothing has happened. But if you want to win the whole thing, be anonymous. Be quiet. Be silent. All of it. When you fast, when you pray, when you give, stop drawing attention to yourself. Look at our culture. It's all about drawing attention to yourself. Yeah, the sure. whole thing is built on it. The most famous pastors, the most famous speakers, like these are the all the experts. Um and so it's counter to the, the lie that we live in. So that's why that self emptying is so important uh, at the beginning. It means wow. just that's the process. And you just follow the Beatitudes through into the kingdom life. And then just watch Jesus do it with people. And the, one other final thing on that, and then he gives us this beautiful circle because most of us operate in a fear loop in our life. We're in a fear loop. So to break the fear loop, he gives us this confession, repentance, transformation, this beautiful circle. Once you're in the Beatitudes and you know your true identity, then the, the discipline is confession, repentance, transformation, truth tell, mind change, form change. Confession, not saying I'm sorry, confession, telling the truth. Metanoia, change the way you're thinking about how you're doing the things you're doing. <laughs> To metamorphe, change the form of how you're doing things. We're just trying to change minds and forms and no truth telling. No actual truth telling. So always telling God the truth. God, I'm afraid. God, here's what I believe about you right now. You're not with me. This, I'm convinced you are not with me right now. That's confession. Hmm. I'm not sorry about it. It's what I believe. Tell You tell me the truth. Then he speaks truth, which causes you to change the way you think. That's repentance. I don't think you're with me. I need to know you're with me. Where are you? I don't see you. I, don't, I think I let you down. What do you say? Repentance. He speaks back. I am with you. I'm not asleep. I do care that you die in the storm. I do care. You're wrong in what you think about me. Then you change the way you think. Now change what you do. Trans metamorphe. Change the form of what you do. So it's when you're in a crisis like Seattle's in kind of a crisis. But when, so when you're with city leaders, the number one step to transforming the city is truth telling. That's the number one step. Them telling each of us in the room, telling the truth, not me going in there and preaching truth at them. That's different. But them telling the truth. And here's here's the truth of people in situations like this. I am powerless. That's their truth. I am powerless. What do powerless people do? They fight like crazy for control. Yeah, yeah. The police do it. The, the, the rioters do it. The politicians do it. Everyone is struggling to find some sense of control. And they do it by exerting their power over other people. That's the human way to do it. But if they weren't powerless, they would be doing something completely different. And so the very first thing is like is for me to help them. Nobody in this situation is powerless. There's not a powerless person involved in this. There's no such thing. So if I wasn't powerless, what would I be? And that's how we start. And it's really fascinating to watch how differently people start thinking when they realize the truth 
We are not powerless. Wow. But that's what Jesus is demonstrating over who, who has power over him. Caesar? Nope. The Pharisees? Nope. Nobody has power over him. But they're going to kill him. That's how he's going to win. He's the only one operating in complete power in that whole scenario. But when you look at the circumstances, he looks like a loser. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But he's the winner. So we as believers, the good news we have for the people around us is you're not stuck, you're not alone, and you're not going to die. Yeah. Paul says it in Acts when he's in the bottom of the ship, you know, and he's a nobody. He's a prisoner in the bottom of the ship. He's just waiting for that hurricane. And when the hurricane comes, he starts to raise an authority right through the entire ship to where he ends up running the whole thing. Yeah. And all he said, the only thing he knows is he's, this is what he keeps saying to him. Look, I got to get to Rome. So you, I, nothing's going to kill me on the way. Storm, snake. So if you want to make it, if you want to live through this thing, stay with me. You don't have to believe in my God. You don't have to believe in anything I say, but stay with me because I'm, we call it sharing our faith. I have faith of how to do this. I'll share with you. Just hang on to my faith and watch what happens, and it will become yours. Yeah. yeah. It will become your faith, and then we'll all be fine. And so that's what you do in crises. It's just like, look, we're not going to – one person stands up and goes, you know what? We're not going to die. But that's what I say in the room. We're not going we to lose in this situation. You're the only one that said that. I promise you. You're the only voice that's saying that. Everyone else is like, the liberals are going to take over and, and the, the LGBT community is going to win. There's going to be anarchy in the streets. That's the conservatives. And the liberals are over here like, the conservatives are going to come in here with guns and militia and second MN fighters. And we're all, that's how everyone's talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And so all I'm saying is, well, we can win this whole thing now. Like, as soon as you say that, People start to go, wait a second, a different idea over here. Yeah. yeah. Life involved. One. There is. Yeah, we can live right through this. This this can be Seattle because one of the a model city in the United States because of this turmoil. As soon as you start talking like that, people start paying attention to what you say. But then you have to have a plan, right? Yeah. <laughs> How? But we do have the plan. We do have the yeah. plans. The gospels, they are the plan. Yeah. yeah. Wow, so that's, I know it's a lot, but no, it's no, no, so beautiful and so powerful. We have to, as believers, we have to keep confessing our own fear and our own disbelief that something can be done. Yeah, we don't believe it. So if we don't believe it, we're in trouble. I feel like we should all just take communion and repent right now. Like, <laughs> like, no, you're you're. We all want to ask you a question, but you're speaking our language. We just went through a church split like a year ago, and it. Oh. Like, it was yeah, it okay. was like a disaster, you know, and you just spend a whole year doing circles, all the different thoughts, and like you just said, it's it's the cycle of fear, is what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Remember, remember the way life works. This is this is the, reality is God's best friend. Reality is God's best friend. God's never afraid of what's real. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, it, and so, in His creation, you have order. And then it moves to disorder in order to move to reorder. That's yeah. the way it goes. It's yeah. the way it always goes. So you have a sense of order. This is not going to, this ends up, okay, it worked once. Now it's not going to work anymore. So to get from this to the reorder, we have to have disorder. No, everyone is horrified of the disorder. And so what happens is this, this, this starts to die as it should. 
and then the reorder, the disorder starts. Everyone tries to get back to the order. They keep trying to push back this way, which is the worst thing you can do. Instead of walk through the valley of the shadow of death, go. Mm-hmm. Go into the disorder. Go. Don't be afraid of you. are not going to die there. <laughs> know who your guide is. Stay true to your identity and the identity of truth around you. And stay with the shepherd. And you'll find out that they, no one in that was really your enemy. Your only enemy in all of the disorder is the liar accuser. That's your only enemy. Yeah. The problem is a lot of people in disorder only listen to the liar accuser because <laughs> they're scared. And so they start doing this. But it's just like, here we go. We're going into it. Here we go. Keep your eyes on the Keep your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. Stay with what's true. Stop protecting your reputation and look for the reordering. And it'll come and you'll see that dawn. It'll come. Yeah. But you got you to walk through it. So blessings for walking through it. Well, it's not fun. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, you just just being a cop and, you know, then the CIA and everything you're saying with all the madness right now, too. So we... One question I just have is we, I've, I've followed you um, via like the open table conference and stuff um, with Brad Jerzak and Baxter Kruger and all them. So um, we've, we have been listening to them too for a few years. And that was kind of one of the causes of our division is the theological viewpoints of that. Um, a more Christ-like God was a big deal. It still is a big deal to a lot of people. Um, yeah. And not just the, not just the, one of the main things that people struggled with is not just the, his view of the Old Testament, but more his view on violence. Um, so I'd love for you just to break that down. Cause I even have a ton of friends who are on SWAT and they're cops and they've struggled with that. And cause if you're a pacifist, like you're like, that's just, yeah. that's what you are. And so I was wondering if you could just break that down from your viewpoint of of uh, doing those open table conferences, being a cop, being in the Middle East, how do you view violence with the whole identity thing? Yeah, so the um, so I'm 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 relatively new to Brad and all those guys too. So like I I'm I'm like pretty conservative theologically, and I you know I I went to seminary and all all of that as well. But so it's. It's, and I've been out, so we've been outside the U.S. for a long, long time. So we're, because we're field, I'm a field person. So I'm not really into the academics of things. I love the academics, but my identity is, a, I'm a sergeant. I call myself a sergeant. I'm like on the street level all the time. That's where I thrive. It's where I was made to be. Um, and so coming back into the U.S. and, you know, being challenged by Brad and those guys really challenged by him. And some of it I didn't like and just working through it. Um, my whole thing is if it doesn't work on Monday morning, when I'm by myself with no props and no podcasts and no, it's just me and Jesus and the, the problem. If what I believe about Christ and the spirit doesn't work, then I don't care what anyone says. No, no. I don't care what anyone talks about at any conference. So that's my challenge. So retributive justice, you know, versus restorative justice. To me, it's not even a debate. Like any, I, I, any good, any good 
CIA operative, I don't care who they are, that gets down in the dirt with the bad guys, retributive justice doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't work. It, all it does is keeps the war going. That's all it can do. Yeah. And so I don't know why that's even a debate. That's a debate between people that don't have to really deal with it. You know, <laughs> as they say, reform is for the leisure class. It's like people have to argue about reform. So I, I, I like, you know, because I work with um, law enforcement people and, you know, foreign agent kinds of people. And I mean, I work with some of the best in the world in these fields. You have two kinds of thinkers. You have that we're going to kick your ass, badass. We're going to kill. We wear notches on our belt of all the bad guys we've killed, the lone survivor. The, yeah. the they don't win, and they and they and they're not leaders. Um, and then you have in the same squad, you'll have <laughs> these quieter. I kind of love the enemy, but they're quiet because they're not the, they're not making movies about these guys. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They don't want to be the lone survivor. To them, that's a failure. Like, who wants? I want the whole team wins yeah. and the bad guys on our team now. That's what we want. It's not a good movie. It's not. It's not you know macho and all this stuff. And our culture worships this champion you know, achiever, you know, performing at your heart. They don't, they don't love, as you're saying, this community, like, I, I'd love to see you win in this, you know, they don't love, we don't elevate that. And so, um, but the people in the field, I just had this conversation with these guys about this. Um, if you got to stand up and tell me how many people you've killed to impress me, you're, you have, you're afraid. Hmm. You live here. Because what, why are you telling me that? You're telling me that because you're insecure about who you are. Yeah. The best people don't even talk. You know, I always say, do you know the best the best foreign worker among Muslims in the world? I just I was just text. I always I always ask guys I'm training in that particular area. Do you know who the best foreign foreign asset inside the Muslim world is? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's why they're the best. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> in the closet. Because they do it where no one sees them. They're the best. Why they're the best? Because they don't care that anyone knows about them. Hmm. See, as soon as a person starts posturing with, yeah, we went in there and we kicked it. Like, already, they're off our team. Like, our guys can do that, but they don't need to say that. The other thing you learn really fast is the person with the power to forgive in a room owns the room. The person who's in the position in the room to forgive owns the whole room if they understand forgiveness. So like Nelson Mandela comes out of prison, he owns. When he says, I forgive you, he is now in charge of the whole country. (laughs) If he would have came out guns a blazing to be the lone survivor, they'd still be at war. The enemy would be clapping his hands. Yay, another hero. Another badass Navy SEAL here. Like that's that's what the enemy loves that stuff. Not there he is dying on the cross. There's your leader. Yeah, yeah. Nice job. But he beat all of them. It's like that. So when I start thinking about what kind of God do we serve, even before I get into like the theology of it all, it's like what works in reality? That's all my question is. What works in reality? 
Forgiveness works so well that we learned after about six years working in really hard places, we would start asking God, God, give us, let them do something to us so we can forgive them. That became our prayer to shortcut the whole process. <laughs> That's what we prayed. Let them offend us, hurt one of us, do something so we can be in the position to forgive because then we will be in charge. Yeah, you got the power. That's right. Right? Because anyone can shoot. Anyone, you don't need the mind of Christ to figure out how to kill another person. So if that's our lowest level of response, what kind of God do we have when that's God's response? Oh, I'm just going to burn them. Like, that's pretty hard to reconcile. Like, wow, our highest level is to forgive and redeem and reconcile. What would our God's highest level be? Or is he just, is he up there mad? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was raised that he's mad, you know, that's yeah, how I was me raised. Too. Um, and I never was comfortable with it, but I didn't know another way to think about it until I met those guys. Right. And they, I know on the field, what we do, we just never talked about it in theology. Yeah. Um, but then when I got with people like Brad and those guys, um, and I, for the first time I was like, Oh my gosh, they've thought this through. right different identities different identities play different roles in the community and so brad and those guys their identity brad's identity for us is he's our priest so i don't answer questions that a priest answers he answers questions that a priest answers i answer questions that my identity answers i'm an expert in my identity i am not an expert in anyone else's and so if i have a question about something I go to the identity that God knit together in their mother's womb to answer that question. Yeah. My identity is so important. Yeah. I don't, don't try and be someone you're not. Just be who God made you to be and nothing can stop you. And that's so, always been kind of my, that, that was, I didn't always formulate it well. We didn't, but you know, like Jesus says, you got to forgive your enemies, but I'm not going to, I'm going to burn right. them. I'm going to get them down. And it's like, like you said, a lot of the badass guys you talk to and they're great guys. It's just like they, and I was there, and I I still slip into it because it's like we almost can't wait for the end of the world so God comes back on a horse and destroys people, and it's like, is that really what that means? Like, is that really what that passage means? And it's like we skip over the forgiveness part, even on the cross when He says it. It's like we're so waiting as Americans for Him to come just burn people to the ground. But right. with us, he's like, yeah, but you guys have to forgive. <laughs> I mean, so right. th- that makes us almost better than God in a way. If, right. if we have to forgive, but he doesn't. It's just, right. we've always wrestled exactly. with that. You know? Exactly. It's Think of it like this. And this is a discussion from earlier today I was having. So if I'm an officer and I'm working a case, and I'm working a case of a serial offender, who, who were, so we've worked this case before. So like we're looking for a serial, whatever they're doing. Before we actually find the person and identify the person, they have built a persona. This is how Satan works. They build a persona that's very powerful and frightening. Yeah. Because all you're doing is picking up the victims. Like you're just encountering the victims and like what happened and this person overpowered me and brutalized me and oh my gosh. And so then, then your team starts reacting to this persona. It's not real, but it's like, yeah, but look what happened here, and look what happened here, and the the enemy gains more power. Yeah. But when you actually capture the person and get them alone in a room, especially if they're a sexual offender, 
You know, you get in a room. This is the question you ask them. When is the first time you were raped? Yeah. And they start crying. They'll say seven. And there it is. There's your big, bad, horrible crimes on the loose. You know, what are the, it's that right there. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? But that person's now 35, you know, and feels completely powerless. So they're exerting power anywhere they can. What are you going to do with that person whose biggest fear in life is that they're all alone? What are we going to do with them? We're going to lock them in a place all alone for the next 40 years. Oh, man. Do to them what Satan has been doing to them their whole life. Right? It's like, and good police officers are like, this isn't, we're not helping anything doing this. Yeah. I mean, really, if you get, that's why cops are substance abusers. That's why they have trouble staying married, is because not all of them, but. All of us have to say at some point, this system doesn't work. All of us have to, if we're tra- telling the truth. Every one of us in the whole law enforcement, criminal justice system, this thing does not work. Yeah, it's obvious. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. And what are Christians going to do about it? We're going to worship it. We're going to say it's incredible and bad guys belong there and because we don't know what to do about it. But what would Jesus do? What does Jesus do about it? Like, what is he doing? Right. And so there's one interesting thing the- theologically, because I'm writing this book right now. And one of my characters in the book is just I've been writing it for two years. So it's really interesting. The timing is a is a black police officer who's wrongly accused of a crime and um and 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 is going through he, but he's but he's he's a police officer he grew up in a white community he doesn't relate to the black community but he ends up in the black community because he gets kicked out of the police department and he's broke and now he's with a community that's the same color as him but he doesn't understand him in any way because identity is deeper than that mm-hmm. deeper than the color of your skin you know and all that and so i was reading the history of african the african-american history and um which is written by white people. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it's very hard to find. But anyway, so I'm re- like, where did racism, how did, racism didn't just start. And it wasn't just a bunch of people going, let's be racist. It doesn't start that way. It starts as something you think is true. That's how the enemy starts with something that seems true. And then he just keeps building on it till. And so, but so I started researching the history of racism. And I had to read black writers to find it. But the Jesuits in, in the 1400s who loved Jesus, I mean, they were amazing theologians, had to figure out what do we do with populations that don't fit any category we've ever seen before? Yeah. How do we fit them into our worldview? Because in our worldview, Europe is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And these people don't want to be in Europe. So what does it mean about them? And they developed this theology about how to view different races of people. But to do it, they had to drop the person of Jesus out. Yeah. They had to build a theology, but the person of Jesus was too much of a critique on their new view. So they moved away from intimacy with Jesus into just education about the faith. Yeah. So the education about faith, you can make go any way you want, but you can't make Jesus go any way you want. He's yeah. going to call you out on loving your enemy. He's going to call you out on the poor. 
So we had to dump personal experiential relation with Jesus in order to build theologies that fit our economic system. That's America too, though. I mean, American Christians is the same way. We'd love systematic theology more than we love following Jesus. Like, because you can box it, you can you can say this is how it works, and you can actually just teach about a system of theology rather than a person of theology. That's right. Yeah. And right. systems are tangible, right? They have yeah. this nature that I can touch it, I can feel it, I can wrap my brain around it. Whereas, uh, you know, I feel like right now there's so many voices. Everyone, we've reconstructed the Tower of Babel, right? Everybody can communicate with everybody. And there's so many voices that are telling us what to think that it dilutes our ability to hear uh, the authentic voice of the Spirit. And so when we can't depend on hearing his voice, I think we retreat to things that are tangible. And so we find systems, and often I think we're raised in systems that said, well, look to Scripture and take it very literally, and, and here's the way we treat each other. You know, it's, it's demonstrated all throughout Scripture. And so yeah. I guess, you know, my question when I'm processing is how do I convince people that sitting back and listening to the Spirit and trying to authentically hear his voice gives you a leg to stand on when all around us are voices we can't trust. Yeah. Say that last part, all that says we can't do what? Yeah, so how do we listen and authentically trust in the Spirit's Uh, voice when we're surrounded by voices that we know we can't trust? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, you uh, you know, honestly, of course, you hear people that misrepresent the Spirit, Um, which is always harmful and hurtful and... Um, so I, so again, like I always try and make it like Monday morning, (laughs) like does listening to God make me a better police officer? Does it, I'm not trying to, you know, heal people in Walmart. I'm not trying to do any of that stuff. I'm not in, that's not my thing. I want to know in my vocation, in my true self, does my relationship with Jesus make me more effective in my vocation than a person that's not a believer. Like, what's the advantage of having the Holy Spirit if my partner's a really, really good cop too? Like, what's the advantage of having the Holy Spirit? Um, if it's not this, you know, a stunning, you know, I'm telling him prophetic visions about his future and all that stuff. It, but what it, what's my advantage? And so it's like bringing it down to really what Jesus is doing every day with people. He's, he's, Speaking into their false identity and calling them into their true self and then releasing them. And they and they have an amazing impact. They don't do anything miraculous particularly, but like the Samaritan woman, he has an interaction with a generations of hostility between genders, between ethnic groups. And in one conversation, he disarms the whole thing, mm-hmm. empowers her to go into a population that he can't go into. Mm-hmm with the authority to lead men who objectified her. She's now the leader of men and she, and, and gets all the men to follow her. That involved, she had to forgive them. She had to be willing to cancel out all the debt they owed her personally. Yeah. All that was gone in one conversation with Jesus. And you see all kinds of reconciliation occur. One afternoon, she doesn't go through a discipleship course. He doesn't tell her what to say to the men. He doesn't tell her to go to the men. He just releases her in that true identity. So when I'm reading that as a police officer, that's telling me, do you want to know how to talk to someone on a 911 call? This is how you do it. How do you know what, if the disciples would have said, 
Like Jesus didn't come to tell us what to do. He didn't come to tell us what to do. He came to tell us how to know what to do. That's what he's doing. <laughs> oh, that's so good, man. That's so good. And we're just going to tell people what to do. All Jesus wants to say, ask me how I knew to talk to her. Ask me how I knew to talk to her because she's a bad choice in yeah. every way. Yep. <laughs> how did I know she was a good choice? That's what he wants the disciples to ask him. They didn't even see her. They didn't even acknowledge her. And this is what Jesus would have said. He says it all the time. I can see what the Father's doing. Yeah, yeah. I can hear the words of the Father. And they work this concretely. It's not magic. It's not stunning. It's this. It's her. Talk to her. Why doesn't he let the demoniac get in the boat with them and go back over to the Christian side, the Jewish side? Because the father's like, no, 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 don't bring him. Send him back into his own people. <laughs> They'll ruin it. <laughs> See? And so like when I, so, so what's, what's the power of the Holy Spirit is union with God, <laughs> the mind of Christ. And so when, it, it, what gives it validity is this operations guy can take a folder of five years of watching you, documenting what you do and flipping it open and saying, you have a job. That's the power of it, not this miraculous, weird. I tell I tell people that are kind of into the prophetic thing, like talk in a way that we know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, no one knows what you're talking about. We don't speak that language. Say something that helps me on Monday, and here's what I'm afraid of on Monday. This is the lie. Every human believes to save time. I just can't go into a room. Here's what you all believe. I can tell you right now. Every one of you in this room, whether you're Muslim, atheist, it doesn't matter. Here's what you believe. Everything in my life depends on me. Yeah. Everything in my life depends on me. I don't care if you're a Christian. Who's going to make you a good Christian parent? You are. Who's going to make you a good Christian spouse? You are. Who's going to Who's going to lead the nations to Christ? You are. It's all on you. We all believe this. Everything depends on me, and here's the other horrible truth, and I'm not good enough to do it. And that's where we sit almost every day. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. In that lie. And Jesus is saying, none of it depends on you. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I don't know what better truth you want to hear than none of this depends on you. And number two, you don't have to be good enough to do it. You have to be who I made you to be. Yeah, that's and, it. And I can do that in a room full of completely lost people, and in one hour, they want to know the good news. Here's yeah. the good news. It doesn't depend on you. It's done. And you don't have to be like that parent, and you don't have to be like that spouse, and you don't have to be like that. In fact, you don't want to be like them. Stop comparing yourself to other people, which makes you self-promote and self and be who God made you to be. So here's the question. Then who am I? Boom. There's the question. And that's why you need Jesus. Once Jesus tells you who you are and you spend the rest of your life just trying to be that, it is the most exhilarating, challenging, beautiful thing to know that I don't have to be like anybody else. In fact, it's wrong to try and be like somebody else. Be who God made me to be. And so then what what does the Spirit do? The Spirit does what a prophet does critiques and energizes all the time critiques and energizes all the time not this this the spirit doesn't just critique critiques and energizes doesn't just energize critiques and energizes jamie what are you doing why are you why are you afraid of this person why are you trying to prove yourself your critique let's do this instead energize Hmm. critique energize 
But what do we do with prophets? We kill them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and we quench them mm-hmm. and grieve them because we're afraid of the critique. Yeah. yeah. We're afraid of the critique because we don't understand the critique is what we energizes. It's so beautiful. Uh, Why do you do this lie? You could be over here doing this. Oh my gosh, wouldn't you rather be doing this? Follow the shepherd, stay with the shepherd like that. So I feel like my friends that get into talking about the spirit, they get into language that's not real. It's like, it doesn't help me. I mean, it's, or they're telling me about some dude, you know, you know what that guy can do? Like, great. Why can't we do it? Yeah. Yeah. And then one other prayer I like to pray is, Lord, what are the things I'm doing in my life? What are the, all the things I'm doing in my life that you never asked me to do? Yeah, no, that's, that's so good. It's so it's funny you mentioned that. I, I'm preaching on the parables right now, and just the king, just the kingdom ones, and over and over and over, it keeps hitting me, and I keep saying it to the congregation. But especially in America, when it's everything about what you do, right? But you got the wheat, you got the seed, you got the dough. You literally do nothing in any of those parables. Nothing. It's the, it's God who's kneading the dough. It's and you're just kind of there, like you're just like there in all the parables. That's right. Yeah, it's just really fascinating. The more you look at those, it's you're really doing nothing. It's him. People, people the say, seed. To me, like, why did you move, you moved your family to Baghdad in the middle of a war zone? You know why? And I'm like, because, number one, because we were invited there by God. He invited us there. We didn't go there to do something for God. We didn't go there to prove that we have faith. He asked. He said to us, Jamie, you pray every day for your kids to be you know, men of God, for them to be men of God, they need to spend a year in Baghdad. Let's go. And I'm like, no, that's not what I meant when I prayed that prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Just make them into men of God. You're praying every day that you want the best marriage possible. That marriage needs to be in Palestine for four years. If you want it to be, I'm inviting you. You want to come to a marriage thing with me? It's in Palestine for four years. And that's when we start telling the truth. No, I don't want that kind of marriage. Yeah. And that means what is your prayer life? It's not true. It's not telling the truth. And that's what God, he can't, baby dedication to me is the biggest joke. I said that five years ago. You heard me. Why are you pointing at me? Yeah, I'm saying. Remember, I was like, why are we doing this? It's not true. I mean, if you're offering your kid to the Lord, you're offering your kid to the Lord, but that it's a animistic protection, right? That's all it is. Makes people That's feel all bad. it is, and I, and God hates this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> see, okay, see, end, end the podcast now. Podcast <laughs> over. Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> no, but but the beauty. But this is what Jesus says: You will know and experience truth, and truth will set you free. Yep. So when you take those kids to Jesus, it's telling. Just you're telling him the truth, God. I want, I, will you make this child into what this child is supposed to be? I am terrified to lay him at your feet. I am hard. It's scary for me, but I, I trust you that you know what's best for this child. And I want to do what you say. And he will invite you into that process. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's, you know, it, it's a not my will, but thy will be done. But just truth. I, I just try and tell the truth all the time to the Lord. I always tell couples before they get married, all whatever you do, always tell each other what you're most afraid of. 
always tell each other what you're most afraid of because that's where the lie will start. Wow. It's not telling the truth about what you're afraid of. Because hmm. then you have to start padding it and faking it. And it's, it's like, I'm afraid. Yeah. I mean, I told my wife this morning about a thing I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm really afraid. I'm just going to, this thing is just going to blow up in my face. <laughs> when I tell her that I'm being as intimate with her as I can be. That's as deep as intimacy as I can give to her. Um, you know, like, I'm struggling with lust. Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's not transparency. It's like lust is the result of insecurity in here. Yeah. It's a searching for security out here. It's like, why? Because I'm afraid that, that I'm not enough. Hmm. When you say that in a room confess your separateness one to another that you may be healed yeah right and that's what i, I i'm i'm not if i start every meeting that i'm in is like i'm gonna tell you right now what i'm most afraid of and every one of us is going to go around this room and start with what are you most afraid of and that does more to get the enemy out of that room than anything i know yeah mine is yeah. Mi misunderstood yeah. being afraid of, i'm afraid of being misunderstood and I usually am. <laughs> uh, we want, we got to have Susanna to ask a question. We value her opinion as well. So yeah, we yeah. I did. I, I did ask. Well, I guess my other question is, how does expectation play into identity? People's yes. expectations. People's expectations of us? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Someone else's expectations? Yeah. yeah. So again, like I don't have any control over another person's expectations, whatever they are. But the, the, way, the way that we work is I always tell, especially our newer people when we're training them, is like we just call it going into a room. Whatever the situation is, we call it going into the room. Whether you're going to Yemen or something here in Seattle, we call it. When you're in the room, when you go into the room, you cannot get your identity from the room. Yeah. And you cannot lose your identity in the room. You bring your identity into the room and you take it out when you leave. That room has no say over who you are. If that's your view, expectations don't make any difference to you at all. They won't. They won't even enter your mind. The goal is God is inviting me into this room. He's not inviting me in that room so I can get an identity. He's not inviting me into that room. so I can, my, He's inviting me into that room because of who I am. That's why he's inviting me in. And he's asking me, when we go into that room together, I need you to be the truth of who you really are the entire time we're in that room. In that true identity, you will hear me talking to you. Because, But if you start listening to what those people expect, my voice will go silent. Yeah. Because their voices are the voices you're going to hear. And you are on your own. Not because I've left you, because you stopped paying attention to me. Right? And that's what expect there is. There's kind of no such thing as expectations. It's all so fake. Um, and so that's how we think about it. And when I ask, I'll, I'll, I'll be with one of the people that we're training and I'll, we'll leave and I'll say, tell me how you did in that room. How did you do? They're always like, well, I really didn't do well. Who and then our next question, who told you you didn't do well? Yeah. Who said you didn't do well? Yeah. Did Jesus appear to you? In a vision and go, yeah, you're pretty good most of the time, but you sucked in that room. Like, <laughs> he never, never talks like that. He never says things like that, ever. What he'll say is, wow, 
Very well done. Now, here's another thing I want you to think about the next time we do it, which will level this whole thing up. But he will never look at you and go, man, you just don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm telling you, please stop sharing your faith. Huh. Because you're, that guy has it. You do not have it. He never, only the enemy talks like that, right? So what does God expect from you? You know what he expects from you? Nothing. I love it. He's inviting you in. But what? I'm serious. I'm serious. It's hard to understand. Yeah. He died for us. Why did he die for us? Because he had expectations for us to meet after he died? No. That, that Paul Young talks about this really well. The word responsibility is not in the Bible. Hmm. The ability to respond is all through the Bible. But God throwing responsibility on us? Not, we do it to each other. Mm-hmm. This is what Jesus said. As you're going into the world, it's not the great commission. That There's no great commission. That's an invented term by a Lutheran pastor in the 1700s. And Hudson Taylor made it famous. He didn't have a great commission. He said this, as you're going into the world, disciple the nations. Good luck. Have fun. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> Peace <Aww>. out. <laughs> Peace out. That's yeah. what he That's said. Great. And so if, if the disciples would have turned to him and said, well, where should we go? Where should we go? I, I want to go to the right place. I think he would have said, well, where are you going? Like, where are you going normally? And you said, I'm going to CVS. Disciple the people while you're in there. Like, look at them, Samaritan woman. Like, who's G- where's Jesus going? He's going everywhere. And, but if you keep pressing him, but where should I go? What's your will? Where should I go? He would say, well, all right, I'll give you a, let's start in Jerusalem. We'll go to Samaria and then we'll go out like that. How's that? Do you know what tells you where to go? Your identity in union with Christ. That's yeah. tells you where to go. Amen. And we'll all go to the, wherever we go and we'll hit the whole place. Yeah. Do you like the beach? You go to the beach. I don't like the beach. I'm going to the mountains. Beautiful. As you're going there. Disciple the nation. But when we do this thing like, man, we have until 2025 to get this thing done because Jesus is ready, but we're, we blew it. We haven't done it. You know, <laughs> then it's on, it's on us, right? It's on us. And so that's what I mean. I, yeah, it's just, it's receiving, receiving, receiving from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we came to serve. Yeah. We, we and Ty were just talking about that because. We were talking about even missions in general, how it's always like you have to get out of here to go someplace else. And we're always like, I, we don't think that's what missions is. Like, it's almost like if you were just, if everyone just were on mission or just listening to Jesus right where they were at, it would exponentially grow to the whole world. It just would. That's Be- exactly right. Because yeah. then you go on a vacation to Mexico and you're just there and you're being a, you know, you're just, you're a missionary there. And then it spreads there. And instead of always having this game plan, of how to serve God. Like I just had this, 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 you know, this, uh, young woman say she wants to be used by God. And I, I, I immediately t- texted her back and says, how about you just partner with God? Like don't, yeah. what father right. wants to use his children. Right. And exactly. that's just, those are those terms that like affect us. Right. They affect yeah. us. Yeah. It's, it's hard for kids when their parents have expectations for them. It's hard for kids. That's a, that's a heavy load to bear. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I, I, we make this way too complicated, you know, it's way too complicated. Um, so, yeah, to me, that's to me. I'm just, I just, I just want to, like, I know what I do in the kingdom. I know I've learned. Jesus, He doesn't have to keep telling me every day what I do. I know I've learned it. 
What I don't know is the level at which he wants me to understand it is just mind boggling to me. Right. And so that's my journey. And then he, he this is how he, it's not an expectation. He'll say, when I say, Lord, what do you want me to mourn for? He said, he said to me one day, a couple of years ago, he said, I want you to lament that you haven't written a book yet. That's what he said to me. And it was like, wow, huh? That's going to take a lot of effort to get me to lament for that. But I started to lament for that and I just started working on it. Right. And he would comfort me there. It's a very deep spiritual journey for me to be in that process. Yeah. He, was, he didn't need a book. He didn't need a book. <laughs> is me in that process with him because he wants me to know something about him and something about myself and that's a is the way he does it with me and so i did that I, I and then i don't know three years and and every time i would say lord what do you want me to mourn for he would say i'm mourning for the book what are you mourning for because i was off mourning for other things yeah and we keep bringing me back and i would keep hacking away at it and then and then one day my my uh I get an email from this acquisitions editor from a major publishing house who says, Can I would you mind if I call you? No, they they call me. Hey, listen, I'm the acquisitions editor for this publishing house. Our CFO, who lives in another state, just did a little Bible study you guys wrote, and he called me and said for me to call you and ask you if you've written anything. And I'm like, well, and then the Lord is like, that's why I want you lamenting for that. Huh. That's it. That's an invitation. It's not like I have an expectation and a responsibility for you to write a book. It's not like that. But that, that journey of writing for me was so deeply personal and emotional to me and had so much fear involved in it. That's what he wanted to walk me through. The fruit of all that is they bought the book. They just sent me an email today. They bought it. Was that my goal? No. It, I, it's not my intention. But that that's abide in me and my words abide in you and ask whatever you want. Yeah. And it, my father's will that you bear much fruit. How do you do it? Abide. Hmm. That's, that's how you do it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It's very beautiful. It's a very, very beautiful. It's rigorous and it's sacrificial, but it's very, very beautiful. Very costly, I will say that. But. Yeah. It is. That's really good. Uh, but it's so beautiful. I, I, that's why I'm never hesitant to, to talk to people about knowing Christ ever, because it's the absolute greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life yeah. is that. But it's not about heaven and hell and all that other stuff. It's very much about now. Yeah. I just talk, I'm talking to my friends and they're afraid. They're super, some of them are rich and they're afraid and they're miserable and they're unhappy and they think they're stuck and they feel like a failure. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Not, so that's awesome, man. Well, we've really enjoyed this, Jamie. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I have to, I'm going to go lament somewhere about something <laughs> now, but we really do appreciate it. And we are so looking, so, sorry, it didn't work out coming in May. We're going to make it happen, um, Lord willing. We're not going to make anything happen, Jamie. That's God's right. going to do it. God We're not going to do, do anything yeah. if it works out. But we can't wait to bring you here. And thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your time, man, and your, yeah, your I, I'm, I'm, You know, I'm happy uh, for you that you went through the process. I know none of us want these processes. And if we had them heads up on them, we, none of us would do any of them. But Never. 
Never. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I know a little bit about it, but way to walk through the valley, man. Way to walk through it. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate your insight on it. That opened our eyes to why that happened. So we appreciate you. And can't wait to see you, man, in person. Yeah. Thank you. Can't wait to see you in person. Yeah. All right. Bless you, brother. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.